morning, and we're going to get started. We're reading from Deuteronomy, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then jump to verses 25 through 31. This is from chapter 4. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command to you, and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in a land, the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul." When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in, you will, in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so obviously we're continuing in Deuteronomy because that's what I just read from, and Rachel told us that that's what we were doing as well when we started. And so this is the second week in our series. Now I'm, I'm going to take just a small moment to mention again and to remind you that we're going to do this series just ever so slightly different, uh, and that is that we're going to work in a couple of different Sundays that aren't normal for us where there's not going to just be like one person up here preaching. And so if you have questions and you uh, want to dialogue with us, uh, feel free by all means to read along into Deuteronomy and to track with us uh, as we're going through this series over the summer. We're going to be here for, well, we've already done one week, so we've got 10 more weeks uh, that we're going to be hanging out here, uh, including today. But so read it. We're going to finish up in August. You can read the whole book. It won't take that long. But if you have questions, comments on things that we're not uh, covering or things that we uh, maybe missed, feel free to ask us that, but we're also going to have some space throughout the series to ask those questions kind of live in this space. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to do a totally different style of sermon. It's not going to necessarily be a Q&R, but we're going to have more of an open discussion about some of the like, ideas that are happening here in Deuteronomy. Because there's some things, if you're reading along, I didn't read it, but in chapter 3 and, and coming up in some of the more chapters, that if you're an honest reader of the text, you should have some issues with some of the things you read. You, it should be weird to you. You should take some umbrage at the fact, or, or there should be some conflict in your brain with why God would command that the, the Israelites would go into this land and conquer everyone, destroy them all. And there's some interesting things there. I watched this one time. It's one of the, the things where uh, they go and they ask people at like rallies and different things questions. And they would ask them, like, do you think God of the Bible is pro-life? And they're like, well, obviously he's pro-life. And then they're like, okay, like, well, what do you do with Deuteronomy? What do you do with some of these passages where they're commanded to go and to kill everyone? 
and immediately they're kind of like, oh. And so we're going to have some discussions about that and, and open that up and, and talk about what does that look like? Like, how do we hold that intention? Because what we want to confess and to say is that we believe that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and the God of us today. That, there, that there's not like, oh, there's some scary old God in the Old Testament, and now there's all of a sudden this new kind God that is uh, peaches and rainbows, you know? So there, there's this way in which we have to learn to hold this intention. And I think it is good and right for you to read this and to struggle with it and to kind of go, this, like, what do we do with this? Uh, that it does not mean you have weak faith. That does not mean that you do not trust in the Lord or think that the Bible is God's authoritative word as we proclaim that it is here at Mosaic. It means you're an honest reader of the text and that you're a human being with logic and reason and can read this and go, that's weird. So we're going to talk about some of that. We're going to wrestle with it. We're going to talk about in the discussion uh, what is the section that's about to come up where we go back into the law. What does it mean for us to believe that this is still a part of our story, that we return back to it, that God claims through the mouth of the gospel writers on the lips of Jesus that he did not abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law. So what do we do with the law today? Obviously, we eat pork and do these other things that are not in here. So we're going to just have more of an open discussion about that that's kind of different than a sermon. And so as we think about that, I want to kind of just here talk about the structure of Deuteronomy a little bit more at like a macro level. Because that some of these issues are going to be in this bigger structure and, and how we're kind of seeing it. Because the problem, or not the problem, the, the difficulty with Deuteronomy is that when you're reading it, you can kind of get lost in the repetitiveness of it. You're going to see that the Ten Commandments come up pretty soon if you're reading along at home. And you're going to be like, well, we already read the Ten Commandments. And then we're going to get this huge section. There's going to be three Sundays that we kind of give to this one giant section. It's the middle section of Deuteronomy. And it's where Moses is literally going to give the law, like, over again. And he's going to expand upon it. And Kyle talked about this last week. And this is Moses' sermon. So if you weren't here last week, Deuteronomy literally, from the Greek, uh, translates to the second law or the second giving, which means it's the second time they've received this. The Hebrew word for it means the words or the words of Moses more specifically. And Deuteronomy is finishing the first five books of the Torah. And so there's something to this, and this structure matters because when you get into the like weeds of the law and the repetitiveness of it going over and over and over again, you can lose sight of kind of the direction that this thing is trying to move us towards and what it's doing. It's serving a purpose, and it has a meaning to it all, other than just this kind of like, what does this, like, I don't, this doesn't apply to me. And there's parts of the verses that don't really apply to us, and that's okay. Again, that doesn't mean we're questioning or challenging scripture. It's saying that there's a larger meaning or a larger kind of thrust that is happening here that we are to be caught up in as a people today. Because I do believe that the author of Deuteronomy intended that not only his original hearers, but that those continuing generations, which include us, are meant to hear this and to hear it as though it is being told to us. And that it is supposed to mean something to us. And that what he concludes with at the end of Deuteronomy in saying that you all, hearers of this, are meant to like follow this and be a part of it. It's saying that there is a retelling and, and a re-understanding of what God has spoken in the past and what he has done for his people. That we are meant to always kind of be continually doing with one another. Because we believe that God continues to speak. He continues to act. 
And we understand that contextually and societally that things change and things morph and, and that what God was intending for us to hear and understand and to glean is continually needing to be reapplied. We can't just take this from the context of a group of people wandering through the desert for 40 years and expect to think that that makes like a one-to-one -one correlation to us today. The conquering and the conquest, when people tried to do that, they did a whole lot of terrible things in the name of God in the history of the church, which again is something that we as Christians standing here today have to reckon with. We have to be honest about that, that this, these stories used outside of the context of their original hearers and authors and these stories that are uh, devoid or uh, removed from their intention or their meaning get used in such a way that justifies really heinous and horrible things in the history of the church. Where people believe that these passages being told to go and to conquer and to take claim of land, uh, this is manifest destiny and the foundation and the formation of the United States where we think because we're educated white Europeans, we can come over here and just take over because we're Christians and God has called us to it. And they're using these passages to justify that. So you have to wrestle with that. You have to be honest about that. And this is part of what Moses in his sermon is getting at. So Deuteronomy is saying to this group of people, you need to hear, this story is your story. If you put Deuteronomy on one and a half speed, this is like a, a sermon from Moses that you could get through in about three hours. So like, you know, a little bit longer if you're on normal speed. Our 40-minute sermons are a little bit shorter. This was intended that it would be a series of messages given. And the way the author frames it is it was done in one day, one setting. He, Moses calls the people together and he tells them all of this. I mean, if you're just sitting in the desert without Wi-Fi, I guess you well, might as well listen to this guy. But... There's this way in which it's intended to be heard as one continual message. It's one kind of long sermon or some mini sermons stacked on top of each other. And this is what the author would have thought that they would have grasped this as. And so you need to understand the context. So here's what's happening, right? It's the sermon. It's this words. They're in the desert. They're about to go into the promised land that they've been promised. What was supposed to take them 11 days took them 40 years, which if you read uh, some of the story in the Torah, they don't actually travel that whole time. There's a lot of encampments where they stop because they have a whole lot of problems and the Lord has to deal with them. And he says, okay, now we can go. And then they stop again. This is numbers. There's all these moments where they just sit for years and years because the Lord's like, you can't go until you figure this out. You got to get this together. And so it's supposed to take them 11 days. It takes them 40 years. Moses, because of the sins of the people and some of his own mistakes, is unable to go into the promised land. In fact, pretty much nobody that left Egypt, except a few of the people that are in this group, would have been some babies, maybe some small adolescents, are allowed to go in, besides Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies that we talked about a few weeks ago in Numbers, that go in and see it, and they come back. They're the two faithful ones. And so this group of people are supposed to be able to go into this promised land finally. But none of them were originally adults. None of them were, a lot of them probably weren't there at all at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. And none of them were the people that were the ones that sinned or were unfaithful to the Lord, that questioned Moses, that questioned Aaron, that created the golden calf when Moses disappeared for a while. And yet what Moses says to them repeatedly is that you were there. In fact, 
to, just to give even another, we'll go out one more layer of the context of Deuteronomy. I keep saying Moses. Really, it's the author of Deuteronomy recapturing or like restating Moses' words. Because, in fact, Deuteronomy was written once they're in the promised land. So this, we know it can't be Moses that wrote it all. Moses is doing something here, or the author is doing something here where it enters into and kind of becomes Moses a second hand. And I'm sure they had these sermons, you know, orally passed down and they knew what they were doing. He's probably there. Or her, she was probably there. We don't know who wrote it. But they were, there's a way in which they knew what was being said and they're retelling it. But the story isn't supposed to be like, you know, these are the listeners. The listeners are those that have actually already been into the promised land. And they're collecting this and putting it together to say, this is your story too. Those of us that are here now, we need to remember what went on there in the desert. We need to remember what Moses told us. And the author of Deuteronomy is assuming that if you are a part of the people of God, you are part of the people here. And that you were there. Yeah, none of us were at Mount Sinai. But we were there. We were a part of it. Because we're a part of the people of God. And the stories and the lessons and what God intends to do is meant to be told and retold to us again and again. And for us to hear. And so he goes and he gives these set of sermons. We're kind of hearing the, like the intro. I feel good about the fact that his, uh, Moses' introduction is 12 chapters. You know, it kind of puts my sermons into context. I'm like, hey, it's biblical. So here we go. So he, there's this long section. It's kind of an intro. And he's reminding the people in this section that they are meant to have a covenant with God. This is marriage language. This is creation language. This is Adam and Eve in the garden language. And there are all of these hyperlinks in Deuteronomy, especially in the first few chapters, that are hyperlinking back to Genesis. And that's cool because Genesis and Deuteronomy are bookending the Torah. And so again, this structure helps you kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of what's going on here besides just a whole bunch of laws being repeated for a second time. You start to see that part of this, this intention is, and the author wants the people reading this and hearing this to get the fact that they are meant to serve as new Adams and new Eves. That they are meant to serve as creating and cultivating and growing up something similar to what the garden was intended to be. That this is what the promised land was always going to be. Was the garden kind of all over again. And so there's all these kind of going back and forth. And there's even language in the flood and that conquering that I talked about where it seems to be maybe it's just some hyperbolic language, uh, some really exciting language. And that there's this connection to where it's using the exact same language as the flood of, of cleansing and allowing for the garden and for this land and this way for, that God intended it to grow where humanity and the divine were united is possible here if you do what the Lord calls you to. Then he goes through and he gives all the sermons. And so after our little discussion that we have in two weeks, we'll do three Sundays going through the laws, the Sermon on the Laws. Then we're going to do a Q&R at the end of that, and then we'll do three more sermons in the third section of Deuteronomy, which is kind of Moses' final promises of saying, like, now go. This is, this is what the Lord told you to do. And I think that section specifically is the one that has the most kind of contextual and, and powerful message for us here today. But you've got to do the good work to get there to really allow it to sink in and to say something to us. And so the structure matters. And the structure is something that we need to hold on to so that we can see and understand what this is doing when it seems to be a foreign context to us and kind of strange language. 
And so we're in this passage now, or in this section one, second sermon, where we're talking about this covenant language between God and his people, where he intends that they would be in union with one another, beyond just kind of a casual, if you do this, I'll do that. But that they would really be able to know one another, to, to be in relationship, to be intimate with one another. And he longs, God, Yahweh, to be in relationship with his people in this kind of way. And this is one of the themes you're going to start to see in Deuteronomy, is that God will do what it takes to be in relationship with his people who he knows will inevitably be unfaithful. Moses predicts the downfall. Nobody has to pray on it, right? Like, it just is going to happen. He says, this, you guys are going to have the downfall, and yet he predicts the faithfulness and the goodness and the nature of God. It's what we read in verse 31. So this is our section. In the way that they are supposed to enter into this covenant and stay in this covenant, the primary way in which Moses thinks that they are to be able to live this out is by hearing and loving. Hearing is a, a major theme in the first section. The Hebrew word for it is Shema. And next week we're actually going to preach on or read the passage that is the Shema that you've maybe heard us talk about before. It's the passage uh, Kyle talked about how Jesus quotes it all the time. Hear, O Israel. Love the Lord your God. Okay, so that, that's that. So this, but that word, hearing, is repeated again and again throughout Deuteronomy. Specifically a whole bunch in this section. And what he's trying to get them to hear and to see, and in Deuteronomy 4.1 is the call, to hear is not just to audibly like kind of hear it. We all know this when you're talking to someone, and if, whether it's kids or a distracted spouse, and you say, were you even listening? They say, yeah, I heard you. you. They may even be able to repeat the words back to you that you said, but were they actually listening? Were they actually digesting? Were they actually able to, in some way, begin to make a judgment this is part of what hearing is, to, to actually allow the words to do something to you and to be able to see things and, and to make understanding of them and to live in a way in response to what is being heard. And he's saying you have to hear, you have to listen to what the Lord is saying to you. You have to actively place yourself in a posture to where you can participate in what God would intend for you to participate in. You must hear and it seems to be that Moses thinks that one of the ways that we are able to do this as human beings, because uh, I think all of us would agree, we're not great at this as humans. We're not good listeners. We're not good hearers in a lot of ways. Now, it brings me comfort again to know that this isn't just like a generational or a cultural problem. It's easy to blame technology and iPhones and all of these other things and think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But we seem to see that this is the way humanity has always functioned. We've always been bad at hearing and listening. And so Moses says, you must retell. You must tell over and over again. Not just what God has commanded us to do. Not just continually put forth and in front of us what God longs for us to do, but you must also retell the good works, the deeds, the glory and the wonder of who Yahweh is. We didn't read it, but in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4, Moses will say, teach them to your children. Careful, not to forget these things. Teach them to your children. T tell it to your children over and over again. This doesn't just mean... Like that you rule with an iron fist and you're authoritative and that like your kids know how to behave. It's saying embody it, cultivate it in your home and in your house that you would live in such a way that your children would naturally be caught up in the wonder of Yahweh. 
that they would know the story so well that they would feel like they were there. Because this is what Deuteronomy is inviting us into. To be there, to understand our, ourselves in those places, with those people. He says, teach it to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Remember the glory of God. Remember his desire to come and to be among the people. Remember his faithfulness and his mercy to participate in creation in spite of their failures. You're meant to do this because we're a type of people that forget. This is why we talk about all the time spiritual practices. We do these things repetitively. This is part of what we do here on Sunday mornings and coming to the table again and again. It's because as human beings, we're really quick to forget we're really fast to, to kind of like let go of what we've long held on to, what we've believed to be true. I think we do it right now really quickly with relationships. One difficult moment, one hardship, and instead of kind of holding on and remembering all that was good, we, we think to ourselves, everything I must have ever known about that person is all a lie. Everything was always terrible. And they deceived me for 35 years. And now because of one mistake... We must, like, we got to get rid of it all. Or we conflate, we remove, and the honesty of relationships may be true, but we assume then that every good moment we ever had for them can no longer be worth anything. Instead of trusting and understanding that in the midst of it all, just as you and I are, just, just as we all find ourselves to be, that we're all mixed bags. We're all tangled yarn, They're good and ill, mixed up together. And that there's good moments and there are difficult moments. There are mistakes and there are celebrations. And he's saying to them, listen, you, you have to remember this. You have to remember the failures. You have to remember the hardships. You also have to remember that God passionately sought after these people and that there was glory and there was wonder and there was goodness and there was faithfulness and there was covenant. And God has displayed over and over again, even though it doesn't feel like that to you right now, he has displayed again and again that he is faithful to complete that which he has begun. That he is good to hold up his end of the covenant, even when you completely fail at yours. And as we retell that and we relive it and we teach it to our children and to their children and they live in that, there is a way in which they begin to embody those truths about who Yahweh is. And Moses is saying, you must do this. You must do this because if you don't, you will quickly, even though you are in the land that was promised, you will forget all about all the work that God has done. You will forget about the days you slaved away at the furnace in Egypt, and you will quickly begin to ask for more, just like a child on vacation or when you've done a whole bunch of really cool things, and they stand there and they say, yeah, but what about that thing? And you say, just last night you told me this was the best trip you've ever been on and now at 11.30 in the morning all you can tell me is that everything is terrible and you want the other thing. We are no different. We are no different in this and this is the way we respond to God all the time. And Moses is saying in order to not allow that to happen, you must retell and recall this over and over again because you will just forget it. You will move on. You will move on for good reasons too because there will be hardship and there will be hurt there will be disappointment and there will be failure. You will do the thing that you were supposed to do and you will not prevail. You will do the thing that you were supposed to do and someone else's evil will come and find you. You will find hurt 
and disappointment in life. You'll find futility. And he's saying, in the midst of all of that, you must remember who God is or else you will find yourself worshiping idols made of man, made by man, holding on to them. And Moses wants to say something here that you should uh, have had your ears perk up. He says, these idols, these idols cannot hear, they cannot see, they cannot taste, and they cannot smell. The direct comparison should be to you, then that must mean that Yahweh can. That Yahweh is capable. And so we begin to see through Moses' teachings in Deuteronomy that the reason he is so intent that we would be a people that listen to God is because God is a God that listens to us, that hears our cries, that knows our infirmities, that is aware of our state and our being. Now, when I read that kind of cursory early in the week, this is the fun part about actually studying these things. I love the Bible that as you sit in it more, uh, you can still be wrong. You can still be, uh, you can still learn new things. I hope that continues forever. I think it should to some degree. But there's this way in which I read that. And I was like, oh yeah, like idols. And I started thinking of all these things. And I was reading in a commentary. Uh, and what they started to say is that they wanted to clarify something here. The powers at B and at hand that are animating these things, that there is still power behind some of these idols. And that in Old Testament scripture, Hebrew people, ancient Near East, as they're writing this, something that I think in our modern minds that we want to like kind of uh, just sort of walk away with, or we have a hard time like holding intention or wrestling with, is this idea that there are powers out there, spiritual powers and forces. New Testament's going to keep up with it. Enemies out there to still kill and destroy. And we can read a passage like this and we can go, yeah, see, obviously those things have no power. I don't know uh, if you've been honest with yourself lately, but I would say that if I'm really honest with myself, uh, wealth and status has a lot of power and it's very enticing. And I want to give myself to it a lot. I find myself particularly, as I've kind of gotten older, I've shared this with Anna uh, and a couple of other people in the community as I've, I've processed this. It's really easy to hold some of those things at bay and to say, like, well, well, eventually, next time, in a couple of years, when this happens, and to find yourself continually frustrated that next year, next summer, next tax check, once the kids are here, once this is there, once I've got that job, once I've got that relationship, it's easy to kind of find yourself to be like, okay, okay, next time, next time, next time. And eventually to be like, screw it, I want it now. I want to make as much money, I want the things that I've had to say no to for 15 years, I want them now. And I'm tired of saying no, and I'm over it, and I'm, I'm going to go get it now. It's really easy to do that. Because there's power behind it. There's something enticing. There's something that draws you, actively drawing you away from giving your life to the Lord. It's enticing. It's good. It's pleasurable. It's something I've committed to, I, I, probably to a fault. I will not be the person that sits there and tells my children that partying was not fun. And if that's a shock to you, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Partying was really fun. I had a good time in college. I wasted a lot of money and opportunities, but it, it was fun. It was enjoyable. Why? Because there's power to it. It's enticing. But here's what I can tell you, and here's where I ended up the summer after my senior year of college, and this is what I don't want to end up in again, is that those powers, those idols, they don't listen to you. They don't hear you. Once they're done with you, they're done. 
And you die thousands of deaths over and over again pursuing these things, pursuing these idols, pursuing these powers, pursuing these moments. They will chew you up and spit you out. You are a cog in the wheel of it moving forward. Whatever it may be, whether it's manna, whether it's material wealth, but these things, they have power and we need to recognize that as the people of God. We are not sitting idly by, this isn't, you know, yin and yang, I'm not getting into that. But there are spiritual powers, there are forces out there that are pulling on you and begging for you to come to their side. And it's subtle, and it's innocuous, and you give yourself over to it. Before you know it, you're worshiping idols that cannot smell, taste, see, and hear. But do not be tricked in thinking that they do not deliver on some of their promises. They deliver. They'll give you the things that you thought you wanted. But when you realize that the thing you wanted is still making you terribly miserable and that you are still disappointed and that it did not deliver on the thing that you actually needed, it does not care. The power does not stop and think, ooh, maybe I should help them. They gave me themselves. They gave me part of who they are and yet now they're disappointed. The juxtaposition and the beauty of Deuteronomy 4 is that Yahweh is standing out as the exact opposite. When you fail Yahweh, Yahweh will remember you. Yahweh will hear your cries and he will draw near to you is the promise of scripture. Yahweh will know your pain and your suffering and he will acknowledge it with you, the failures and the disappointments. And he will not look you in the eye and tell you that you need to just get over them and to forget them. He will say, no, retell those stories the way that your parents failed you. Deuteronomy 4, powerful message for us as we sit here today. It's not intended to be a, a Father's Day sermon. It's not intended to be a Juneteenth sermon. But it has powerful implications to both. There is a recognition and a way in which we must understand the failures of the generations before us are our problems. And we must do something about it. Kyle talked about this last week in the call to social justice and to racial equality. We must recognize that we stand as beneficiaries of the sins of our fathers and of our mothers. And that there is a way in which we are held responsible for the things that we had nothing to do with. Scripture is very evident and clear that this is the case. You are responsible for these things. You were there, even though you weren't there. You were there because you're beneficiaries of it. You are in the lineage, the heritage, the line. And Yahweh sees that and his heart breaks. And you are not responsible for it because Yahweh wants to punish you to the generation after generation. Actually, the promise of Scripture is that he intends to break those generational curses. He intends to say, no more. That won't be your story any longer. You are going to write a new story. But to write a new story, you must care and you must know. And so you must retell the pains and the hardships. But you must retell the glory and the wonder and the goodness. Because that is the solution and that is the answer. And this is what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we failed once. We failed again. You're going to fail more. And yet God is going to continue to be faithful to you. You get this in this room on a Father's Day. And my prayer is that for many of you, you are able to stand here this morning and to say, not anymore. That will not be my son's story. That won't be their lineage any longer. 
But you have to know it. You have to know the pain. You have to be acquainted with it. You can't ignore it. But you don't give up on it. You don't just wash away. This is the story of the church. We sit here in this room this morning, very well acquainted with the failures of the church over the last few generations. We, we know it. They won't stop making podcasts and documentaries about it. And we won't stop watching them. And yet what the story of Deuteronomy is begging from us, that is just like screaming at us, is first of all, guess what? You're not off the hook. Those, those are your stories too. Even if you were just a child, there's a, there's a way in which you are caught up in that and that you're meant to do something about it, just in the same way that we are meant to do something about the problems that exist in this country centering around race. You're not free to just walk away from it. Equally, though, I think what Deuteronomy is screaming at us is that the people of God are meant to see and be a part of this glory and wonder that Yahweh wants to bring on earth. That yes, there is failures. Yes, there is hardships. Yes, there are difficulties. And we need to be honest about them in our own life, in the, the family origins, in our stories. We must confront the grief and the hardship and the disappointment that we've experienced and that we have inflicted. And at the macro level, I love scripture partially because they do not hide how broken the people of God are. And when I stand or sit with people more often than not, and I hear their stories of how painful the church was and their experiences of Christianity, my heart breaks with them. And the way it's used for abuse and for power, and the way that we forget what God intended us to do and we pursue idols that do not hear or see us. And it happens all the time. But what I can say is that Scripture was aware that that was going to happen. And Scripture actually gives a template for what it looks like to find redemption and hope in the midst of that. And that the people of God were always going to fail to some degree. And yet, the one person who will not fail is Yahweh. Faithful to the end. Abounding in steadfast love. Willing to love again and again. To forgive the sins of the fathers. To extend forgiveness to thousands of generations. Yahweh will come into the story and enter because Yahweh is a God that hears. Unlike the gods of those around, unlike the idols that we are tempted to worship, Yahweh is a God that hears and that knows and is inclined to draw near to us when we refuse to draw near to him. He's faithful. That gives me such great hope. It gives me desires to pursue and to go after what God would intend for the people to go after. It's the reason I'm a pastor. It's the reason I stand in front of you week after week saying that this thing matters. Yes, it has failed miserably. But the reason we wrestle with the failings, the reason we know them so well is because we know deep in our bones it's not meant to be this way. There's something better than this. And Yahweh longs for us to participate in finding that and pursuing that. It's the reason we have weird feelings around Mother's Day and Father's Day because we know that's not the way it's supposed to be. We long for something more. And Yahweh is offering the invitation to us. God is offering the invitation to us to participate in seeing that redemption come. And I think this is what Moses is getting at to this people in Deuteronomy. This is why the author of Deuteronomy wants this story to be told and retold again and again. Because Yahweh does not tire. 
He does not get bored. He longs to see it happen, to participate in it. This is why we take communion every Sunday. Because communion is this moment where we come and we're reminded and we're told that God is a God that draws near and that hears and knows our pain, knows our suffering, knows our disappointments better than we can know them ourselves. And is willing to sit and embrace them and simultaneously offer us a hope that's far greater than anything we could ever dare to imagine. Our sins are worse than we could really ever admit and yet God loves us more than we could ever imagine, to quote Tim Keller. And that's what we celebrate in communion. Is this God that hears, this God that knows, this God that sees and draws near to us and does not abandon but is faithful. And so as the band comes back up, I invite you to come and to receive the elements, to take a piece of the bread and the cup, hold on to them, Go back to your seats as they continue to play. I'll come up and take the moment to lead us in the reception of those elements. It's gluten-free over here if you need that. But I want to invite you to come to this moment. Now here's the reality. Is that I think it's the difficulty of retelling, at least my difficulty. I, I'm chief among these. I love novelty. I love new. I love exciting I get into one hobby after the other. They are getting increasingly more expensive, so Anna's getting more and more frustrated with my hobbies. But I, I like to, to invest myself into something wholeheartedly, and then once I've kind of done that, I get bored and I move on. You're probably not as extreme as me, unless uh, you are, and then you're like, I really get what you're talking about. We can just trade hobbies maybe, and we'll save our uh, people around us some money. But there's a way in which all of humanity, I think, is familiar with this. We as hum human beings, we love novelty. That's why we get frustrated with children, whether you've babysat, had younger siblings, or are a parent. There's a frustration with children in which you know there are certain things you can't do because once you do it once, you will now have to do it every single time, and nothing is more maddening. By the ninth, tenth time, you're like, I just did this one time because I thought it was funny. And you laughed, and I needed you to stop crying, and now we must do it every single time we walk through this doorway, into this room, whatever it is. Or there is a game. Some of you have been kind enough to entertain my children, whether it's a small group or here, and now every time they see you, they want to play that exact same game the exact same way that you played it with them that one time seven months ago, and you don't even remember what it is. But there's a wonder and a joy in children that I think we're called to, and that I think God embodies I heard another pastor say this one time. She said it so eloquently that I loved it. She said, I think there's a way in which she can imagine, she said, that as God sees the sun rise, that there's a way, just like a tiny child, he looks at it and he says again and again. The way that he sees human beings walk and move through the earth, that there's a way in which he watches us with childlike wonder and he never gets bored. He doesn't get tired of it. He knows the predictability of what we are going to do. And he says, again, again. In the same way, a child will look at you and beg you to do it again and again. There's a wonder and a joy that is meant to be found in the retelling. And the coming back to it again and again. That we lose in our cynicism. 
and growing old, just as C.S. Lewis predicted, we, we get too old for children's stories. We lose the magic of it all. And yet I think the invitation when we come here again and again is to be reminded with childlike wonder that every time we come, it's, it's like it happening for the first time again and again. The connections are drawn all over again. It's like we're rediscovering, hearing it again for the first time in the way that God does this because we see this faithfulness dis displayed throughout the entirety of Scripture. And this is the faithfulness that is offered to you now, here in this moment. Again and again, he does not tire of the mistakes. I'm sure it grieves him, don't get me wrong. But it's a way in which he knows there's the opportunity again to love and to care. There's a way in which I think God sees us, hears us, knows us, and says, I will do whatever it takes to draw near to you again and again. And that is the invitation this morning as you come to the table, to draw near to the Lord again. So as the band plays, pray as you need to, prepare your hearts and your minds, and I invite you to come to the table again in any way that the Lord is calling to you in this moment, in this space. Mosaic, we do what is called an open table. We believe that the Lord is a place to desire in you to come to this moment, to come and to receive. If there is any kind of burning or desire to participate in what Jesus has for you, then come and participate. And hold on to the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.